Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, and my sassy and delightful co-host is Katie. Do you need money or something? Or like an alibi or... See? Sassy and delightful! And no, I do not. I'm just speaking facts. Oh, all right. Well, let's let's just keep rolling right into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered Chapter 6, The Port Key, and the sort of corresponding film scenes. Hermione was the bitchiest of alarm clocks, but she still couldn't keep Ron awake. Fred and George's attempt at smuggling contraband to the Quidditch World Cup didn't make it past the sharp gaze of Molly. Amos Diggory doesn't make the best first impression in the book, but his vampire, I mean son, keeps all the girls swooning. Harry was filled with questions, but only Book Arthur had the answers. But one thing is certain, one muggle's trash is another wizard's port key. During episode 67, Follicular Homicide, our Potter pondering was, do you think you would prefer to travel by broom, flu powder, a port key, or apparition? Why? Dave said, as someone who commutes everywhere by bicycle and enjoys the slow, relaxing pace, broom would be the choice for him. Hippogriff would also be cool, but his landlord won't let him have pets. An apparition, if he needed to get there quickly. Juliana said she would probably travel by herself using apparition, since it's the fastest. If she was traveling with someone, she would opt for port key. She thinks the flu powder might cause an asthma attack for her. I feel you there. And brooms are cool, but where do you store the broom once you've reached your destination? That is a very good point. Mm-hmm, right? No place I want to know about. <laughs> that got weird fast. Where are you putting your broom? Damn. I was quoting Miss Congeniality. Ah. When she was like, where am I going to keep my gun? And he was like, no place I want to know about. <laughs> Yeah, that tracks. Carly said that she thinks she would like all modes of magical transport. Magic! However, flying would be amazing, but apparition would be how she would choose to travel the most. Maybe a flying carpet occasionally would be fun. Cuddling on a soft rug with a warm blanket would be so awesome. Definitely no flu powder. You get dirty. Mm-hmm. Quincy thinks he would either like to do the night bus or a magical car. He wants to know why every form of magical transport seems really uncomfortable and sloppy. You can fall off a broom, you can feel seasick in the flu network, an apparition? More like lose your fucking arm. The night bus ain't much better, but it, at least he'll get there. And don't even get him started on the port keys flinging you around. He tells us not to get him started a lot. He does, and yet somehow he always gets started anyway. Well, we love getting him started. We do. It's so fun. Emma said she thinks she'd do a broom slash apparition mix. Apparition for working weekdays and a leisurely broom journey on the weekends. Yeah, Robert said he's always wanted to learn apparition. Saves on time and expenses. Yes, you have a small chance of leaving a body part behind for an extended period of time. But, I mean, that's a hell of a conversation starter. Oh, I'd talk about that. Right? Fact. Mike... 
our Nick Fury, not Mike, our patron, said Broom seems coolest, Apparition seems fastest, Porky seems dizziest, Flu Powder seems dirtiest. I'd say all of that tracks. Yeah, valid points. All that sounds completely right, yeah. Doesn't tell us which he'd prefer. I guess Broom, if he's going for cool. I guess. Maybe he wants to be dirty. Who knows? Jackson thinks that a broomstick would be his main option, and maybe apparition. He would definitely try to avoid flu powder and port keys. Too rough. Solid points across the board. Mm-hmm. This actually makes me just kind of upset that we can't travel by magic for real. Right? Though the sadness is lessened by the awesomeness of our keepers and their replies. Mm-hmm. Seriously. On both counts, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you for your responses, guys. Our trivia question last week was, Why doesn't Perkins use his tent so much anymore? Mr. Weasley says that he borrowed the tent from Perkins at the office, who doesn't camp much anymore. Poor fellow. He's got lumbago, which is basically just lower back pain. I feel you, Perkins. Samesies. Mm-hmm. I recently learned that I'm throw my back out emptying dryer lint years old. Well done. Oh, it was awful. I just like <laughs> bent over to get it and then I couldn't get back up. I'm definitely can't lay down on the floor to play with my kids years old. Like, yeah. oh, that was almost bad. When they run away, I can't run after them. It's the worst. Right, facts. But congratulations goes to Mike Riley. He is up to a three-week streak. I got a notification that he answered in what seemed like seconds of posting the episode. So fast. Apparently he hears that a lot. Those are his own words, by the way. <laughs> Quincy responded saying that explains a lot. <laughs> I love the shit talking. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the weekly trivia question, speed is everything. Which, I mean, you don't get that often, so you might as well take advantage while it's there, right? Right. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing him, Quincy, Max, and Dave battle it out, as well as anyone else who might join in to take the win. For now... Let's just keep rolling into Chapter 7, Bagman and Crouch, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 7, Bagman and Crouch Harry and Ron have to untangle themselves to be able to stand up. They look around the deserted stretch of a misty moor and see two grumpy wizards poorly dressed as muggles. Mr. Weasley addresses the wizard in a kilt as Basil and hands him the boot to be added to a box of port keys. Basil warily says hello back and looks up his campsite. The Weasleys are to ask for Mr. Roberts at the first field and the Diggories for Mr. Payne at the second. They have about a quarter mile of a walk through the morning mist and then say bye to Amos and Cedric when they reach their campsite. They find Mr. Roberts who checks them in and asks for payment. Mr. Weasley pulls Harry aside to help him with the muggle money, prompting Mr. Roberts to ask if he's foreign. He comments on the people who keep having trouble with money, and how oddly crowded it is with weirdos who all seem to know each other. Another wizard appears out of thin air and obliviates Mr. Roberts, whose face goes a little dreamy as he hands Mr. Weasley a map of the campsite. The wizard accompanies them out and explains to Mr. Weasley that he's been having trouble with that muggle, who needs ten memory charms a day, and that Ludo Bagman isn't helping since he keeps walking around talking about Quidditch at the top of his voice, so he will be glad when this is over. The wizard disapparates and Jenny looks surprised that Mr. Bagman would talk about bludgers in front of muggles. Mr. Weasley says that he should know better, but is a bit lax about security. 
They all walk past rows of tents that the owners clearly tried but failed to make as muggle-like as possible. When they reach their spot, Mr. Weasley insists that they can't use magic and must put their tents up by hand. Despite Mr. Weasley's overexcitement, Harry and Hermione manage to get two shabby-looking tents set up and the two of them exchange looks, wondering how their party of ten will fit into the two little tents. Mr. Weasley says they will be a bit cramped, but tells them to take a look. Harry ducks into the tent and is astonished to walk into a furnished three-room flat, complete with a bathroom and a kitchen, though Mr. Weasley insists that they will cook outdoors over a fire like real muggles would when camping. They take a tour of the girls' tent, which is similar, though smaller, and then Harry, Ron, and Hermione head to the tap marked on the map to collect water. The sun has come up now, and other people are waking up. Harry notices a little boy who looks to be about two using his dad's wand to enlarge a slug in the grass, and other little kids flying toy broomsticks. They continue to take in all the different witches and wizards around and see a patch of tents that are completely covered in shamrocks. Sitting in front of one of them is their classmate Seamus, who greets the trio and asks if they like their decorations, mentioning that the ministry isn't happy about it. Seamus' mother comments that they should see what the Bulgarians have hanging over their tents and asks if they will be supporting Ireland. After they assure her that they will be, they continue along and decide to see what the Bulgarians have over their tents and find that every tent has the same moving picture of a surly face with heavy black eyebrows. Ron says that he is Victor Crumb, the brilliant and young Bulgarian seeker, and is offended when Hermione says he looks grumpy. They reach the tap and find a pair of men who are arguing over the one man's choice to wear a flowery nightgown as his muggle clothes. The other man is unsuccessfully trying to convince him to put on pants, and the whole situation gives Hermione the giggles. She has to leave the line for water until the men move on. After they collect their own water, they slowly make their way back to their campsite and run into a few more people from Hogwarts, Oliver Wood, Ernie McMillan, and Cho Chang, who causes Harry to slop water down his front as he waves back to her. Harry quickly changes the subject by pointing out a group of teenagers that he doesn't recognize, and Ron reckons they're from a foreign school. The existence of other wizarding schools surprises Harry, though not Hermione. They finally make it back to their tents and find that Mr. Weasley is still struggling to light a fire with matches. Hermione shows him how to do it properly, and they people watch with commentary from Mr. Weasley until the fire is hot enough to start cooking. Around lunchtime, Bill, Charlie, and Percy arrive, and they sit down to eat. About halfway through, Ludo Bagman shows up wearing bright yellow and black striped robes with a large wasp on the front. Despite thinking he's not as great as Mr. Crouch, Percy runs up to shake his hand, and Mr. Weasley introduces him to everyone else, saying he's the reason they have such great tickets. Bagman does a slight double-take at Harry's name, but doesn't say anything. He asks if Mr. Weasley wants to make a bet on the match, and is disappointed when he only agrees to put a galleon on Ireland to win. He recovers and asks if there's any other takers, and Fred and George bet 37 galleons, 15 sickles, and 3 nuts that Ireland will win, but Victor Crumb will get the snitch. To Percy's chagrin, they also throw in a trick wand, which Bagman says he'd pay 5 galleons for. Arthur tries to talk them out of it to no avail, and Bagman writes down the bet and hands them a piece of parchment. 
He then joins them for some tea and mentions he's waiting for Mr. Crouch, which causes Percy to excitedly talk about his boss some more. Mr. Weasley changes the subject, asking about Bertha Jorkins, and learns there's nothing new to report, though Bagman still thinks she'll eventually wander back. As they talk, Mr. Crouch arrives, completely passing as a muggle in his impeccable suit and tie. Percy greets him enthusiastically and offers him tea, which he accepts and thanks him for, though to Percy's embarrassment and Fred and George's delight, he calls him Weatherby. Mr. Crouch tells Mr. Weasley that Ali Bashir is on the warpath about his embargo on flying carpets, and they continue to talk about it until Bagman brings up the subject of how busy they have been organizing the World Cup, which he has found extremely fun. He also mentions the event they have to organize at Hogwarts, though Mr. Crouch cuts him off and tells him they better go meet the Bulgarians. They head off and Fred immediately asks his dad what's going to be going on at Hogwarts. Mr. Weasley says they will find out soon enough, and Percy says that it's classified and that Mr. Crouch was quite right not to disclose it, causing Fred to say, oh, shut up, Weatherby. The excitement rises as the afternoon goes on and the salesmen start apparating every few feet to sell their merchandise. Ron says he's been saving his pocket money all summer and buys some Ireland merchandise, as well as a small Victor Crumb figure. Harry found some omnioculars for ten galleons each and bought three pairs for himself, Ron, and Hermione, telling them that they won't be getting Christmas presents for about ten years. They head back to their tents and after a booming gong sounds, Mr. Weasley announces that it's time to go. The movie starts right after the kids, except for Cedric, have a rough landing from the portkey. Cedric offers Harry a hand up, and Harry accepts it and thanks him. After they all get up, the group heads up another hill and ends up overlooking an area packed with tents and people. Some are waving Bulgarian or Ireland flags. Some are overhead on brooms, and even more are mingling among the crowds, enjoying their surroundings. As they make their way through the masses, everyone looks around at the chaos and excitement in every direction, seeing more flags, a man juggling something with streamers, house elves on llamas, low-flying broomsticks, and more. The Diggories part ways with the Weasleys and Harry and Hermione, saying they will see them at the match, and Mr. Weasley leads his group to their incredibly small tent. He holds open the flap and says, Home sweet home, as Fred, George, Ginny, Hermione, and Ron duck through it. Harry watches confused as Mr. Weasley ducks in the tent after his youngest son and tentatively moves the flap himself to look inside. Instead of finding the five Weasleys and Hermione cramped inside a tiny tent, he sees a much larger furnished living space, kitchen and all. Mr. Weasley calls for Ron to get out of the kitchen and Fred and George repeat him as they sit down at the table and prop up their feet. Mr. Weasley tells them, feet off the table! and the twins repeat that as they remove their feet from the table, and then immediately put them back up after their dad walks away. Harry looks around completely awed and exclaims that he loves magic. So there are again corresponding film scenes for Chapter 7. Mm-hmm. But as usual, there's quite a bit left out, as well as some details changed. Uh, yeah. I mean, we should be used to this by now, but we're still going to bring it up every time, because why not? Because that's what we do. <laughs> The movie section is both fairly short compared to the chapter it corresponds to, being only about a minute and a half long, and it also kind of shows the details it does include out of order. Yeah, it sort of flip-flops things. We'll get to it. Mm -hmm. In the book, Harry and Ron have to untangle themselves to be able to stand up from their crash landing after using the portkey. The movie starts somewhat similarly, since the kids, except for Cedric, of course, have a rough landing from the portkey. But in the film, Cedric helps Harry up because, well... 
he'd be a really shitty Hufflepuff if he didn't, right? Apparently in the book, he's just a shitty Hufflepuff. Apparently. (laughs) After they all get up, the group heads up another slightly smaller hill and ends up overlooking an area packed with tents and people. The book has them look around where they landed, which was a deserted stretch of a misty moor. Ooh. (laughs) They see two grumpy wizards poorly dressed as muggles. One is wearing a tweed suit with thigh-high galoshes, which I love that word, galoshes. (laughs) Galoshes. It's such a fun word to say. Try it. Galoshes. Galoshes. (laughs) Galoshes. It's fun. Is that it? (laughs) Sure. Sure. Anyway. Tweed suit, thigh-high galoshes, and the other is wearing a kilt and a poncho. (laughs) I love getting to see all the different wizards, but I'm still upset that we miss out on all the wizards trying to dress like muggles and hilariously failing. Yeah, they really just put them in muggle clothes. It was, yeah, it was just basic. Even at school, they wore Mm -hmm. muggle clothes. And it's such a hilarious little magical tidbit that they don't know how to dress like muggles, and they love it. I know. I missed it. I missed it in the movie for sure. But Mr. Weasley greets the wizard in a kilt as Basil and hands him their port key, which he adds to a box. Basil wearily says hello back and looks up their campsites. He says the Weasleys are to ask for Mr. Roberts at the first field and the Diggory's for Mr. Payne at the second. Yeah, the movie just basically has them arriving right at the campsite. No extra hike. It's just like, hey, welcome to Wizard Coachella. Yeah. <laughs> With tons of witches and wizards waving Bulgarian or Ireland flags, some flying around on brooms, and even more just taking in the sights. Which is what, I mean, that's what I would be doing for me, I'm sure. (laughs) In the book, they have another quarter mile walk before they get there. When they do, they say bye to Amos and Cedric. They find Mr. Roberts, who checks them in and asks for their payment ahead of time. Mr. Weasley pulls Harry aside to help him with the muggle money, making Mr. Roberts think he's foreign and bring up all of the people who keep having trouble with money. And I love this little touch. Mm -hmm. Especially in the book, he's just like, so this one's a five? And Harry's like, a 20? (laughs) Like, (laughs) well, you didn't learn numbers, Mr. Weasley? It's just so funny. That kind of didn't make sense to me, though. Like, they know what numbers are. Right. The numbers are right on the bills, but whatever. It makes it funny. It it was funny. It didn't make sense, but it was funny. Yeah. (laughs) It didn't make sense. Oh, God. Personally, I think you're a little canuts. (laughs) (laughs) Now that makes sense. But we're also both a little canuts. Well, we wouldn't be doing this if we weren't. (laughs) Touche. But then Mr. Roberts also comments on how oddly crowded it is with weirdos who all seem to know each other. I mean, it's Wizard Coachella. Right. So that's what you get. (laughs) That's a great description for it. Thank you. I thought so, too. (laughs) But then another wizard appears out of thin air and just obliviates Mr. Roberts, whose face goes a little bit dreamy as he hands Mr. Weasley a map of the campsite. The wizard then accompanies them out and explains to Mr. Weasley that he's been having trouble with that particular muggle and has had to give him 10 memory charms a day, which could not be good for him. I was going to say, that can't be healthy, man. He's going to forget his name by the end of this. (laughs) But he also mentions that Ludo Backman hasn't been helping since he's been walking around wearing his Quidditch robes and just talking about quaffles and bludgers at the top of his voice. 
we don't really know Ludo Bagman at this point, but it sounds pretty on trend for him from right. what we have heard. Yeah. <laughs> but then that wizard disapparates and Ginny looks up at her dad, really surprised to learn that Mr. Bagman would just talk about bludgers in front of muggles. We're not surprised. We're not, no. But Mr. Weasley says that he should know better, but is lax about security. That's who you want in charge of something big right? like this. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, he can't keep getting hit with bludgers all his life. <laughs> but they all walk past rows of tents that are just not muggle-like at just all. Fail, yeah. We're trying so hard and we just, nope, nope. Like, they're like multi-story tents <laughs> and full gardens and god i really wish that they had actually made the tents look magical right they were just tents yeah it just looked like just a fucking field of tents it was like there was magical stuff sporadically in there yeah but the tents were all very basic and very plain and yeah the tents did not i wanted to see the shamrock covered tents i know we're not there Mm -hmm. yet but i wanted to see I know. I wanted to see the multi-storied ones. I wanted to see like a fucking fountain. I like, yeah. you know, like right? have some fun with it. Come on, man! It literally just looked like a festival with some magical things happening. Yeah, but this sentiment is achieved in the film as they make their way through the masses. Everyone looks around all the hullabaloo, and we see more flags. I mean, juggling balls with streamers, house elves on llamas. Which, I mean, why? But okay. <laughs> low-flying broomsticks, and just a ton of other really, really cool stuff. Yeah, there was lots of magical things happening, but it wasn't subtle. Like, I liked the fact that they were trying to hide the magic and failing at it in the book. Mm Mm-hmm. They continue walking until they reach their campsite, but there isn't much else to see in the book since it's still incredibly early and most of the campers are still asleep. This point in the movie is where the Diggories part ways with the Weasleys and Harry and Hermione, saying they will see them at the match. And I'm still weirdly interested. I don't know why. I'm weirdly interested in the fact that Amos Diggory calls it a parting of the ways. And that's the name of a later chapter. Yeah, I don't know if that was deliberate foreshadowing. Right? Considering what happens later on, or just a coincidence. It's just a very odd thing to say, Yeah, I guess. But when they reach their spot, Mr. Weasley insists that they can't use magic and must put their tents up by hand, like muggles. In the movie, the tent is already set up, like magic. Magic! (laughs) And Mr. Weasley leads them right to their extremely small tent. Nope. In the book, they take the time to set it up and have a little fun with Mr. Weasley's overexcitement. But Harry and Hermione manage to get the tent set up, which is another difference since they have two shabby-looking tents set up instead of just one. Well, you know, you need the boys' tent and the girls' tent. Yeah, I mean, clearly they can't sleep in the same tent. Obviously they can't. Inappropriate. Ugh, terrible. It's purely because they have to stop Ginny from sleeping in the same tent as Harry. (laughs) And Hermione from sleeping in the same tent as Ron. Yeah, that's about it. I mean, I would feel like they would have a little bit of self-control, what with Ron's dad. Right there in the tent? Right there in the tent with them. But whatever. But Harry and Hermione exchange looks, wondering how their party of ten would fit into the two little tents, and Mr. Weasley says they'll be a bit cramped, but take a look. There is a similar reaction in the movie, even though it's only the one tent. Mr. Weasley holds open the flap and says, Home sweet home, as Fred, George, Ginny, Hermione, and Ron duck through it. Harry watches confused as Mr. Weasley ducks in the tent after his youngest son. So one of the differences here, then, is in the book... 
Harry and Hermione exchange the confusion over how they're going to fit. Yeah. And in the movie, Hermione just goes right in the tent. Like, oh, it's yeah. nothing. Hermione knows everything. Everything. Just... But in both the book and the movie, Harry ducks into the tent and is astonished to walk into a furnished flat complete with a kitchen. It's a TARDIS. <laughs> Time Lords are wizards. That's amazing. A headcanon accepted. Right. I have it. And boom, it's, it's immediate. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, why does Harry still continue to question the Weasleys? Like, I get him being kind of confused, but first he almost misses his port key ride. And now he's just standing outside of the tent like a friggin' Muppet. Like, just go with it, kid. This shtick worked in the first book when you just found out that magic is even a thing, but now we're four years in and you're just looking dense. Yeah, he does look a little dense. Mm -hmm. In the book, Mr. Weasley insists that they won't be using the kitchen. They will cook outdoors over a fire because he knows that's what muggles do when they camp. The closest the movie gets to that is Mr. Weasley calling for Ron to get out of the kitchen and Fred and George repeat him as they sit down at the table and prop up their feet. Mr. Weasley then tells them, feet off the table, feet, feet off, off the, the table. table. <laughs> I love that the twins repeat that too, as they take their feet down and put them right back up. Because, I mean, why wouldn't they? They're Gred and Forge. It is some fun Gred and Forge shenanigans, for sure. In the book, they also take a quick tour of the girls' tent, which is similar but smaller, and that makes sense because there's only two people in that tent versus eight in the other tent because yeah. it's that important to have separate tents. It's so ridiculous. I'm sorry, but it is. But then Harry, Ron, and Hermione head to the tap marked on the map to collect water. Obviously, the movie couldn't include a tour of the girls' tent since mm, there wasn't a tent for the girls. They had bunks. Yeah. The movie section actually just ends with Harry looking around completely awed and exclaiming, I love magic. And seriously, Harry's hair is so bad. It's so bad. So bad. Hugely horrid Harry hair. Hugely horrid Harry hair. Some good alliteration. <laughs> mm -hmm. It doesn't roll off the tongue as well as very hairy Harry hair. It doesn't. But you know what? It's true. It's true. And therefore it has to be said. But I'm just saying that gives it more reason to be very hairy, hairy hair instead of hugely horrid hairy hair. Hugely horrid hairy hair. Hugely horrid hairy hair. Ugh. Huge. Despite the movie scene ending there, the book chapter continues on. Shocking, I know. Hmm. The sun comes up, and as other people are starting to wake up, a watered-down version of the hullabaloo that the movie included is starting to be present. Harry notices a little boy who looks to be about two using his dad's wand to enlarge a slug, and then there's other little kids flying toy broomsticks. And this is fun because it's the first time that Harry's ever even considered little kid wizards and yeah. stuff like that. And like, kids, like, growing up as right. wizards. Because he had no idea until he was 11. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think he considered that perspective before. I wonder if he kind of gets sad because he thinks about that's how his childhood could have been. And now I, mean, I made myself sad. I'm right? sorry. Why would you do that? <laughs> Good. I was just cutting onions, I swear. Anyway, <laughs> they continue to take in all of the different witches and wizards around and see this patch of tent that's completely covered in shamrocks. Just green as far as the eye can see. And I live there now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the movie just said fuck it with the statute of secrecy and just went full magic just fuck it all 
the book had people sort of try to follow the rules and just be really bad at it yeah and like we were saying that's kind of a funny preference like Mm -hmm. not funny as in it's funny that we prefer that we prefer it because it's funny yes well said but in front of one of the shamrock tents is their classmate Seamus Finnegan he asks if they like their decorations because the ministry isn't too happy about them (laughs) Seamus's mom asks why shouldn't we show our colors and says they should see what the Bulgarians have hanging over their tents She wants to know if they will be supporting Ireland, and they assure her that they will be. Though, as Ron says, like they would have said anything else surrounded by that lot. Right, they're not completely stupid. No. (laughs) They know. You don't piss off the Irish people. No. You just fighting words. (laughs) You just don't. That's you're going the right way to get your ass whooped. (laughs) Telling you. And we don't know a lot about Seamus's mom, but she seems a little like me. She seems a little like possibly me. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Kind of makes me wish we knew more about her. Oh, yeah. They continue on their way and decide to see what the Bulgarians do have hanging over their tents. And they find that every tent has the same moving picture of a surly face with heavy black eyebrows. He is not described as very handsome like he is in the movie. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Ron says that he's Victor Crumb, the Bulgarian seeker. And then defensively calls him a genius when Hermione says he looks grumpy. But based on that description, that's pretty grumpy sounding. I mean, yeah, you can be grumpy and still a genius. It's true. <laughs> like they're not mutually exclusive. But here we are at one of my favorite parts of all times of the entire series. Yes. This is actually what one of our keepers, Jackson, who likes to respond to our Potter ponderings a lot. Mm-hmm. This is what he and I bonded over. Yeah. So I see you, Jackson. (laughs) They finally reach the tap and they find a pair of men who are arguing over the best moment of wizards failing at muggle clothes. (laughs) One man is trying to convince a very old wizard named Archie to put on a pair of pinstripe trousers instead of the flowery nightgown he has on. Oh, Archie. Oh, Archie. Archie keeps insisting that he bought it in a muggle shop. Muggles wear them. And refuses to put on the pants, even after being informed that he's wearing muggle women's clothes. (laughs) Hermione ends up with a severe case of the giggles as Archie insists that he will not be putting on the pants because he likes a healthy breeze around his privates. Thanks. (laughs) I'm so mad we didn't get this moment. Did you ever see the animation of this? No. Someone did like a little short animation thing. I think it's on YouTube somewhere. I'll find it and post it. But yes. I think it was actually the same guy that created the Potter Puppet Pals. Oh, okay. Created this animation of this guy. And he's like, he's like, I like a healthy breeze around my private stinks. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I hear it every yes. single time. Oh my God. It's just so amazing. <laughs> but amazingness aside, they do eventually manage to collect their water and they slowly make their way back to the campsite, running into a few more people from Hogwarts. Oliver Wood. Oliver Wood. That's what I said. Oliver Wood. Oliver Wood. They end up learning that he was signed to play Quidditch for Puddlemere United. That's so exciting. I know. But it makes me really (laughs) sad that like we just never got to see Wood again. They just wrote Mm -hmm. him out of the third movie and he's just gone. He's just gone. Yeah. No more Oliver Wood. Yeah. The last thing we see him was just complaining that they canceled Quidditch. Right. In the second. And then apparently they canceled him. Yeah. (laughs) But I was really glad that we got a little flashback to him. Mm -hmm. Definitely. 
They also see Ernie McMillan, which is fine to leave out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But they see Cho Chang, too, and she waves at Harry, who slops water down his front as he waves back to her. Cho Chang! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not a Cho Chang fan, but it would have just been funny as hell to see Harry just... (laughs) I mean, he has a couple of good, funny moments, but that's just one that I would have liked to see, too. Agreed. To stop Ron from making fun of him, Harry quickly changes the subject by pointing out a group of teenagers that he doesn't recognize. Ron says that he reckons they're from a foreign school, and this is the first time that Harry has even considered there could be other wizarding schools, so he's pretty surprised, but Hermione's not. Yeah. You know she read about that in a book or two or Hogwarts seven. Hogwarts of history. Yeah. <laughs> Durmstrang of history. <laughs> Bobatons of history. <laughs> This is the first time we learn about other wizarding schools, too. It's true. I remember being surprised hearing that, but then going, well, yeah, no, that makes sense. It's not like every wizard in the world traveled to the UK to go to Hogwarts. Right. I mean, there's only like five, ten kids per class. That'd be really weird. Right. Wow, (laughs) wizards are rare. (laughs) But yeah, they finally make it back to their tents and find Mr. Weasley is struggling to light a fire with matches. Because every time he manages to get one lit... He immediately drops it in surprise. I would have loved to see that, too. Could you just imagine? Oh, (laughs) oh, and I can just see Mark Williams doing that, too. Oh, it would have been great. And Hermione shows him how to do it properly. And that would have been perfectly acceptable because she is muggle-born and would know how to use matches and could teach people how to do it. Exactly. Having her teach people things in the wizarding world that she hasn't yet experienced is not as acceptable as matches. Just saying. Thank you. But anyways... They get the fires lit and they just people watch until it's hot enough to start cooking. And Mr. Weasley just gives commentary the whole time, like pointing out people that he knows from work and telling who they are and what they do. And God damn it, I would have loved that running commentary. That would have been so fun to watch. Like I know it would have been so much to film. I know. But yeah. it gave a little bit more backstory into the Wizarding World and it could have been so mm. delightful. <sighs> It would have filled the hole in my heart. Right. I'm just saying. Instead, it just enlarged it. (laughs) Newell. (laughs) Around lunchtime, Bill, Charlie, and Percy arrive and they sit down to eat. About halfway through, Ludo Bagman shows up wearing bright yellow and black striped robes with a large wasp on the front. That was also a bit stretched around his middle. Harry thought of him as a powerful man gone slightly to seed. (laughs) I don't know why I love that description. I love that despite the fact that he was earlier insulting Bagman, since he's not as great as Mr. Crouch, Percy immediately runs up to shake his hand. Yeah. Because he's kind of a bitch like that. Just a little bit. (laughs) Obviously, this couldn't happen in the movie, since not only was this whole section left out, but Percy was omitted as well. Yeah. Sadness. Boo. Yeah. We missed Chris Rankin. Yeah. Percy is not all that likable at this point, Mm-mm. but Chris Rankin is incredibly awesome. So, right. And I would have loved to see him play this Percy that, because he went from being a leader, the one setting the example, to, a, to now the one that has to like follow the example. The sycophant. It yeah. could have been a really neat transition, and it would have been, I think he would have done a great job with it. So, oh, I yeah, would have definitely. liked to see it. It would have been great. But we didn't get that. We didn't. We were bilked. Yet again. Yet again. But Mr. Weasley introduces Ludo Bagman to everyone else, saying he's the reason they have such great tickets. Ludo does a slight double take at Harry's name, but doesn't actually say anything. 
He asks for bets on the match and gets an apparently disappointing one-gallion bet from Mr. Weasley for Ireland to win. But Fred and George come out of fucking left field and bet 37 galleons, 15 sickles, and 3 nuts that Ireland will win. But Victor Crumb will catch the snitch. That's a very specific bet. It's very specific. That's a dangerous bet to make. It's also genuinely based in some intelligence. Like, that was Mm -hmm. an educated guess based on how good Ireland was, but just how good Crumb was. Yeah. So, Which is what they were talking about in the previous chapter, right, too. So right. It's just... Baldy, and they were right, but... It worked out for them, but did. damn. Well, it sort of didn't, well, but we'll get there. At the same time, it's still... Yeah. To Percy's chagrin, they also offer to throw in a trick wand, and Percy's just completely like, you can't show him that nonsense. <laughs> Have you met... Mr. Bagman, he is an overgrown child. He is exactly who you want to show that nonsense to. Right? (laughs) And that's correct because Bagman's just like, I'd pay five galleons for that. Mm -hmm. So Arthur tries to talk the twins out of betting their savings, but Bagman insists that they're old enough to know what they want, writes down the bet and hands them a piece of parchment. I have to question that. Like, yes, maybe they know what they want. But are they old enough? Right. Because they are not of age. Should they be betting? Exactly. Especially betting that much money. But Bagman gets his way. So Mm -hmm. he joins them for some tea and mentions that he's waiting for Mr. Crouch because he's having trouble figuring out what his Bulgarian opposite is trying to say. And Crouch speaks about 150 languages, which is pretty damn impressive. Yeah. This sets Percy off. Like going on about how the amazing Mr. Crouch can speak over 200 languages, including troll, which makes Fred tease him. I mean, anybody can speak troll. All you have to do is point and grunt. (laughs) You and I have spoken troll before. (laughs) 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 Next episode, fully done in troll. (laughs) Oh my god, I will get the rehash written so fast for that. (laughs) Anyway, to save Percy, Mr. Weasley changes the subject, asking Ludo if there's any news about Bertha Jorkins. And Bagman says, not a dicky bird, which I love that saying. It just cracks me up. It obviously cracks Katie up too, and it's probably for completely different reasons. Because it sounds dirty. (laughs) Katie's laughing because it sounds dirty. I'm laughing because it just creates some hilarious imagery for me. I don't know. But he says dicky. Yes, he does. (laughs) Not a dicky bird. But he does also think that she'll eventually just wander back because apparently she has a history of getting lost. Just wandering off. Just wandering off. Eventually, Mr. Crouch arrives, and Harry thinks that he would even fool Uncle Bag of Assholes into thinking he's a muggle, because his suit and tie is absolutely impeccable. Impeccable. Mm -hmm. I love that word, too. Impeccable? It just sounds crisp. Impeccable. Yeah, I can see that. Percy greets his boss enthusiastically and offers him tea, which he accepts and thanks him for, except... To Percy's embarrassment and Fred and George's delight, he calls him Weatherby. Yes, thanks, <laughs> Weatherby. Weatherby. I love I'm it. I'm sorry. That's just awesome. Yeah. It's like, you feel bad for Percy, though. I do feel bit. so bad for Percy a little bit. But at the same time, that's just so too good. So a little bit bad. <laughs> yeah. That's just too good. They talk for a while until the conversation turns to the top secret event that will be happening at Hogwarts. Oh, what's top secret what event? Oh. Percy was hinting at it earlier. Yeah. Bagman is all about telling them the secret now, but Crouch shuts that shit down, saying they better go find the Bulgarians. 
He also again calls Percy Weatherby, thanking him for the tea. (laughs) They head off and Fred immediately asks his dad what they were talking about. Mr. Weasley says they will find out soon enough. And Percy gets to give the very pompous, it's classified. Mr. Crouch was quite right not to disclose it. This is what he'd clearly been dying to say to his younger brothers. Right? Though it cost Fred to retaliate with a, oh, shut up, Weatherby. <laughs> I mean, you know they couldn't let that go. No, they could Come not. Come on. And they never will. No. That's going to be years and years of... That, that man is getting monogrammed towels. With a W. With, with a W. <laughs> Which will still work because it's Weasley. Shit. Not if they go WW. And if you say that they were calling him Weatherby instead of Percy, instead of Weasley. So he could be Weatherby Weasley Mm. instead of Percy Weatherby. Sure. It works either way. Regardless, it was not his name. No, not at all. (laughs) The excitement continues to rise as the afternoon goes on. And the salesmen start apparating every few feet to sell their merchandise. And I would have loved to see that more so than all of the tents, too. I mean, there was so much neat stuff going on, but it happened pretty quick. We had to pause. Yeah. To see, like, certain things. And we were like, wait, what was that back there? Hang on, rewind. It was just too quick. Right. We were like, pause. Yeah, those are house elves on llamas. What? It was very random. We also didn't get to see any of the merchandise for sale. It was just lost in all of the Mm -hmm. mayhem. But in the book, this is what Ron has been waiting for all summer. And he's been saving his money so he can buy some Ireland merchandise. But he also gets himself a small little Victor Crumb figurine. Let's it walk back and forth across his hand. (laughs) I love that concept. A little pet crumb. Right? (laughs) I don't like that. It creeps me out. Inanimate objects should remain inanimate. But think about, like, in Little Princess, when her dad told her that when you weren't looking that they move. Or, like, think about Toy Story. Yeah, I don't like that. There's so much magic about the idea that your toys can come alive. And in this, they really can. I know, but that's it's just... Fun. It's a lot of assuming that toys are good. And not all toys are going to be good, and some are going to try to kill you. Like the evil Krusty doll from The Simpsons. And I just don't want that either. Well, that's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> I may have some deep-seated issues about toys coming may to life. Have. I may. Yeah. Yes. So moving on. <laughs> I do think this is the closest the book was to what the movie portrayed with all the vendors and brouhaha going on before the match started. Yeah, it just kind of did it in a flip-flop because mm-hmm. in the movie we saw that first and then there was the tent and it ended there. But in the book it was getting to the point of the tent and then there was all of the craziness going on before the match. Which is the natural way that things right. happen when you go to up. something like that. Yeah, exactly. So, Even though the movie never actually showed them buying anything, we will see in the next section that they did buy some stuff. Yeah, In the book, aside from the stuff Ron bought, Harry found some omnioculars for 10 galleons each and bought three pairs for himself, Ron, and Hermione, telling them that they won't be getting Christmas presents for about 10 years. (laughs) They then head back to their tents, and after hearing a booming gong sound, Mr. Weasley announces that it's time to go. And that's where the book chapter ends. There are no new actors for this section because it's all the same ones from last week, and anyone new that could have been cast was left out. So, we'll just keep rolling into our Potter pondering. 
Since a lot of this chapter was missing from the movie section, what did you miss the most from the book? And why did you pick Archie and his flowered nightgown? <laughs> <laughs> also, what else did you really wish you could have seen come alive? Obvi, I missed the healthy breeze around my privates, thanks. Mm -hmm. Best line ever. <laughs> but there were some really great moments in this chapter that would have been nice to see, so... Find the posts on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Mm -hmm. We really look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from Henrietta Hufflepuff, since she opted to go by her chosen wizarding name. <laughs> I love it. She writes, I had always assumed I was a Ravenclaw, but then I took a fan-made quiz and it said I was a Hufflepuff. Then the official one actually confirmed it. I'm quite delighted to be a Hufflepuff and have ordered some swag accordingly. Good call. Mm-hmm. So far, I have a decal on my car, which is quite nice, and a little pill container. On the way are a keychain and a pin to wear, and then I have favorited dozens of other things on Etsy for future reference. My Patronus? Well, I'd say it'd be a phoenix. My wand is 13 and 3 quarters inches, acacia wood, with unicorn hair core, and quite bendy. When I was in my early 20s, my now ex-husband was gifted the first book, and we read it around when the third book was published. We bought the third book, but the second one was all sold out because there hadn't been as many printed of that one, because the popularity really took off with the third one, I guess. Or between the second and third, I suppose. So we waited until they printed more of Chamber of Secrets, and then went on with that and Prisoner of Azkaban. We bought four through seven at the midnights of when they came out as they were published. Thanks for sharing your sorting hat story with us, Henrietta Hufflepuff. I love the alliteration. Right? So fun. <laughs> Thank you again. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. You can also just message us on social media. And this will bring us to this week's trivia question, which is... What is the name of the broom that is advertised on the blackboard as safe, reliable, and with a built-in anti-burglar buzzer at the Quidditch World Cup? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word, hashtag a broom for all the family, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at justkeeprolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you'd like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. In addition to getting you some extra perks like Just Keep Rolling swag, patron-only Facebook groups, virtual meetups, bonus content, and more, your patronage also helps us continue producing this podcast, our cooking show, and bringing more content your way. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, monthly blooper reels, vlogs, and other random videos. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 8, the Quidditch World Cup and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.